Let's invite the Lord with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to be in thy presence. And it is humbling because as we recognize how great thou art, we realize how small we are. And Lord, we want to pray for a great measure of your presence to be with us. We pray for your Holy Spirit, and we thank you, Lord, because of a promise in thy word that if two or three on earth ask anything, you will do it. And the words of our Savior, Jesus, that you will give us the Holy Spirit to them that ask. And so we ask, Lord, for a great measure of your Holy Spirit, be here and shake our hearts, shake us to the core of our being. We want to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Acts, chapter 8. And we'll begin reading with verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read Isaiah, read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. 
And when they were come up out of the water, the, Philip, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. I've said it before, and I'll probably say it again. I really love the book of Acts. And because it's, it's full of real-life stories or real-life situations of the early believers and how the Holy Spirit worked in a powerful way among those believers. And what we have read about here, uh, we pick up in a portion of the life of Philip. Philip, before this time, he was one of the seven that was ordained to serve tables when the murmuring was among the widows that they weren't being taken care of. And so the apostles decided that we need to have uh, seven men full of faith looking after this kind of work. And Philip was listed among one of those names as them chosen. Well, it looks like that that didn't seem to last very long because circumstances would have it that the enemy, the devil, would rise up persecution against the church and would have them scattered. This was shortly then after the stoning of Stephen, where he was killed as the first martyr. Uh, we read then earlier in Acts chapter 8 that all the disciples, except the apostles, but the believers in general were scattered all over the place, away from Jerusalem, because that's where the persecution started. And what I find attractive or fascinating in the life of Philip is his whole circumstances changed. And he finds himself in Samaria. And he doesn't have the same opportunity or the same ministry that he was originally ordained to back in Jerusalem. But we see that Philip was not idle. He was not a man that then sat back and said, well, I guess my time of service here um, that I was picked out for is now over, and I'm now going to busy myself in um, starting in a new life in a new city um, and making sure I've got employment and a place to live and uh, maybe something else to keep me busy with in my spare time. We don't read that about Philip at all. And he's busy preaching the word in Samaria. And a number of people are converted. And that's where in the middle of this time in Samaria, he receives the call, go to Gaza where there is desert. I love Philip's response. Because he doesn't point out reasons why he should stay put. I just started this work here, Lord. Why am I being taken away here? This, this has just barely gotten off the ground. Don't you think I should stick around a little longer and make sure that this is established and make sure that uh, I'm, I'm continuing what I started here? But we read right away here that he arose and went. And the quality that I see here in Philip displayed immediately is obedience. He heard the voice of God and he obeyed. He didn't have the full plan laid out before him. He didn't know why exactly he was going. He didn't know who he was going to see 
didn't know who he's, how he was going to recognize when he's going to get there and what he's supposed to do. That, those details aren't revealed here in what we read. But he acted on what he knew and obeyed. What is the state of your obedience this evening? Because in order for us to be effective as believers and to be the lights that we are called to be, this quality, this virtue of obedience is very necessary. Now, sometimes or frequently when we think about obedience as a Christian, perhaps one of the things that may come to mind is the obedience in the don'ts, in making sure that we don't go into sin, in making sure that we obey all the commandments of the Lord to stay pure and not to become entangled again in the world and not to become defiled with the things there are and to avoid temptation and so forth. And those are all very important. Because, of course, as we heard last night, a believer that is entangled in sin doesn't have a very bright light. It doesn't work that way. But the quality that I think we need to meditate on this evening is this aspect of obeying the call. Obeying the call of God when he tells you to go and do whatever it is he's calling you to go and do. As Philip reached the area in which he was supposed to go to, it became apparent who he was supposed to minister to. Just one person. He came from ministering to groups, it seems, preaching the word to multitudes. But God called him and sent him this long journey, however long it was, to meet this one person. That tells me that God is interested in the individual. Though there may be 900 or so or 800 and some on this campus, God is interested in you as an individual. And though we may lose people in a crowd, God does not lose sight of you in a crowd. And in fact, God may use you as a believer to go and meet a particular individual. I pray that you and I are willing to do that when we hear that call. And not to minimize it because it's only one person. That I'm going to go all this way just for this one person? Yes. The soul is valuable. Every person is precious in God's sight. And so he listened again to the voice of the Spirit, more specifically, or the second step here. Go near and join yourself to this chariot. That's where you're supposed to be. And I love his response again. It says, and Philip ran thither to him. Now, maybe he needed to run in order to catch up to the chariot because maybe it was moving slowly. But what I see also here in Philip is the quality of eagerness 
that when God said something, do it without delay. Can I lay a challenge upon every believer this evening? And that is to never say no to God. Never say no to God. When he calls you into a particular area of service, big or small. And it makes me think of the song that, uh, as I was meditating on this, the song came to my mind about saying, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Lord, I give you all the glory for all you've given me. You have filled my life until I overflow. All I have is yours to use in any way you choose. You are Lord of all, so how can I say no? I'll say yes, Lord, yes. Can we personalize those words tonight? Every day of our life. To be that bright light that God wants us to be. And as Philip ministered to this man, telling him about the ways of the Lord, notice how he cut to the core where Philip began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Jesus is the essence of salvation. It's the essence of life. He is the one that we are to worship. And Philip, I see him as not wasting any time getting right down to the core of the matter. May we have that discernment of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that to recognize what is at the essence, what is at the heart of this situation and of the need of the person with whom God has sent me to minister to and to not be afraid to get there. How young or how old do we have to be in order to be qualified, in order to serve the Lord? There is a lovely uh, story in the Old Testament that we all know very well. And we find it in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. This is at a time in Israel when there are, they're struggling with Syria. And Syria has taken some captives and with them a little girl. The Bible identifies her as a little maid. And she waits on Naaman's wife. Naaman is the captain of the host of the king of Syria. She finds herself in, this little girl finds herself in very undesirable circumstances, taken away from her parents in a strange land, isolated from the presence of, not isolated from the presence of God, but isolated from her nest, from her support group. Humanly speaking, she would have every right 
to be angry and bitter and wish the worst for her captors. But what I see in her as she says to her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy, this dreaded disease that her master had. And the virtue that I see in this young woman is compassion. Compassion for the one we would, or humanly speaking, would feel justified in hating, in wishing the worst, in justifying herself, saying, well, that's the judgment of God for what he did to our people. Why should I help him? But we see a heartfelt compassion as she reveals the light that she knew of the solution to his problem, which eventually then led to his healing and his way of glorifying God. There will be times when God may arrange the circumstances in your life in which you did not choose. And you may feel captive. You may, you may feel trapped in your situation. And maybe you have prayed many times to get out of that situation. But God has something different in mind. Are you willing to obey the call and that purpose in that situation, that's shining as a light. You're never too young to shine for God. I would love to meet this little girl's parents and find out what kind of training she had. What did they teach her in order to be able to do this? And this is a reminder to me as a parent and to all of us that are parents in how we can raise and train our children. Because we will not always be in control of their circumstances and they're not always next to us. And wherever they're at, they also can be a light, a witness of the truth in their own way, in the way God has for them too. And then I'm thinking of another situation, also which we are familiar with, when Paul, the Apostle Paul now, who is on, he's on his second missionary journey, and he's traveling with Silas as he starts out his second missionary journey, and he's looking for direction on where to go, and in a dream he receives the Macedonian call. And so with great enthusiasm, they travel over in that direction, and they do the work of God, and they meet some people that are in need of the truth. Lydia, the seller of purple, is one of the converts, and they're worshiping together there, and um, eventually, of course, the conversion of another young girl who was held captive by soothsayers or by people that had gained from her as a soothsayer with a spirit of divination, and they rescue her from that bondage. This causes a stir in that city. And they throw Paul and Silas in prison. A circumstance which they probably did not ask for. And I wonder if Paul, if it may have crossed their mind, it's not written, so 
I don't see this attitude in him, but it would have been natural for him to question, what happened here, Lord? We received this Macedonian call, and we're here, and we're doing what you want us to do. Why did we get locked up over here? But he didn't do that. We see him in a difficult situation. After being beaten with stripes and their feet locked up so that they can't move, they sing. And God uses that circumstance, or shall we say God created that circumstance. And Paul and Silas were willing to be used. They didn't have a choice about being in prison. They didn't need to be willing for that part of it. But it was their attitude that was willing in that circumstance. And that's the part that we can control, our attitude. And so that in that circumstance, we can be the light that God wants us to be. And that had such a tremendous effect that the keeper of the prison, after seeing that they could have run away and they didn't, Notice how Paul and Silas were more interested in the purpose for which God had them there. And obviously it must have been the Holy Spirit that told them, don't move. But they could have run for it and and seen that this is a sign from God that we got to get out of here. But they didn't do that. They valued that ministry more than their own personal freedom. Did you catch that? They valued that ministry more than their own personal freedom. What about you and I? We live in a country and on a continent where personal freedom is in a sense almost worshipped as this is the highest value that man can have. But with God, there is something higher. And that is the value of service in submission, in surrendering our personal freedom to Him in submission. So that we can live out fully that purpose for which we have been created. We read that, right? Paul wrote about that in Ephesians. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Good works because we are converted. Good works because we are believers. How much do you and I value our personal freedoms? Are there some that we're hanging on to and that we're not going to let go because we think we deserve them and this is my right? How many rights did Jesus hold on to when he left heaven and came to earth? How can we? How can we hold on to our rights and hold our personal freedom higher than our service for God? We can't. Not if, the Lord, not if Jesus is our Lord. We can't. And so, my brother and sister, if you're struggling with that tonight, maybe you've been struggling with some of that for a while. It's not worth hanging on to. Let it go so that God can replace it with something much better, much richer and fuller and more satisfying. 
and more worthwhile. Be willing, as Paul and Silas were, to be used in any, in any circumstance. As we traveled, as our family traveled down here and made a rest stop, as I walked around, I noticed a poster on the wall. It said, Missing Persons. And as I read some of the details of the different people that were there and looked at their picture, many of them were runaways, suspected runaway teens. And my heart went out to them as I wondered, what on earth are they running from? Perhaps they have a very troubled home situation and they needed to run. I don't know. But I prayed that in the course of their running, that their paths would cross somebody that knows Jesus. And it made me think of the story of Onesimus, the runaway slave. He was running for his freedom. And he crossed paths with Paul. And Paul shared him a different kind of freedom that was much greater than the kind that Onesimus was running for. In fact, the kind of freedom that sent him back to his master in repentance. Is there anyone here running from something? And even though you may be a believer, maybe there is something that you're running from. And I pray that you would have a closer encounter with Jesus to give you the kind of freedom that you really need. And my brother and sister, our paths cross with runaways, with people that are running from something or someone, running from God. Do we recognize that need in their life? Are we willing to be used to show them the light and so that they can turn around and come to God? Are we willing to surrender our personal ambitions and goals to this end? Because probably, as I examine myself, I have to confess, probably the single biggest obstacle towards further surrender or advancement in the kingdom of God is personal ambition and pursuits that are noble and things that are presented as necessary in daily life? Am I willing to lay them aside in order to be able to pour more energy and resource into kingdom work, into that which is going to change lives? That's the cost of service. But especially when God is specific and calling you to do something specific. Can we be exhorted to never say no, but to say yes, Lord, and to be at those places 
where people need to know. Philip could have said, well, if they need to hear the gospel, they know where I am. They should come to me. Paul could have done the same thing. But we see that he expended, they expended many personal resources in order to further the kingdom of God and to go to places where it needed to be heard and needed to be seen, not just heard. And so that God took them to the very deepest of places, like the prison, and to do some prison ministry, not from the outside as a visitor to be able to comfort the prisoners from the outside, but he wanted them to get in on the inside and do prison ministry on the inside as an innocent sufferer. And maybe there will come a time where you and I need to do ministry as an innocent sufferer, maybe prison ministry. As this world gets darker and hates the truth more and oppresses it. Do we become, will we become more silent and careful and guard our freedoms? Or will we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us? Because nothing else matters other than the furtherance of his kingdom. And are we willing to do that at any cost? Finally, I want to share a very inspiring, a story that was very inspiring to me. And it kind of follows on the heels of this little girl that ministered to Naaman's wife. Many years ago, in the country of Paraguay, there was a little girl named Lisa that had somehow developed a real hunger to know more about God. And her only connection with God was the priest in her town. And so she attended those services as faithfully as she could. They were very close to her house. And the priest, seeing that she had a real interest in God and in his service, thought that he would use her to help in teaching some of the classes to the children. So he gave her a Bible. Turns out, from his perspective, that was a mistake. Because she read that with her whole heart and as much as she could and soon realized that the things that were being taught were different than what, were, what was in the Bible that she was reading. And so she came to know the real Jesus in the Word of God. And the power of God was working in her life and had become, begun dramatic changes. By now, of course, she's a young teen and, or so, and she has changed. And this is alarming to her parents because she's not interested in the social events anymore and the dances and the things that she used to do in the community. And she's turning into some religious fanatic here that this is, this is dangerous from their perspective. And so they figure they're going to put a stop to this and they're going to send her far away to the country of Uruguay. They had some connections either with family or friends and they sent her there. Figure they're going to get her out of this situation which is going to get this out of her head. But the beautiful thing is is God is still in control. And as he would have it, 
in that whatever city it was in Uruguay of million or so people, she crossed paths with some believers. There's only a very small group of believers that our church had there, six or something like that. And she meets them. And so she's overjoyed that God had provided that opportunity now to, that she can fellowship and understand a little bit more about this Jesus and being converted. In time, a brother from Argentina by the name of Omar Gava comes and visits and ministers to this small group and invites Lisa to Peniel Bible School. He sees that she has a real hunger for God. And that she has a commitment in her heart to say, yes, Lord. And so she comes and spends some time at Peniel. And is discipled by a faithful sister there. And learns how to teach the word of God to children. And how to minister. And to give herself entirely to the Lord and in his service. Before this time... Back when she was still in Uruguay, her parents hearing of the situation of what happened and how that it seems that their plan had entirely backfired, they had to come up with another scheme and had made up the story that her father had passed away. Her father was a man that was addicted to alcohol and had finally passed away, so they said, and that she must quickly come and come back and come for his funeral. And so she's torn between leaving this small group of believers where she had her nourishment and fellowship and coming to her father, his funeral, and deciding she's not going to make it there in time anyway. And she can't save him as sorry as she is that he's dead. So she decides she's going to stick with her calling in the Word of God. Once her days are done at Peniel, she feels a conviction to go back home. And so she does. Now in her late teens. And one would wonder, what kind of success is she going to have? A young sister all alone in a town that is hostile to this faith, to the faith of Jesus Christ. But she is not deterred and begins a small Sunday school ministry in the shade of a tree and teaches Sunday school. And receives threats, or the young boys that are attending there receive threats, some of them even being taken to prison by their parents because they wanted to scare them out of going there. But the word of God increased. And today, some of those young boys that she taught in Sunday school under that tree are now preachers and teachers and elders in the church in Paraguay. We never know. How much fruit that ministry that God has called us to, even though it is maybe to one person, how much fruit it will yield. But we got to be willing to be at those crossroads, at those places where the people are going to be that God wants us to minister to and to give us, to give of ourselves in order to do that. Some time ago, I came across a poem which some of you may have heard, but it speaks to this in such a powerful way that I want to share it again. It's called At the Crossroads. 
He stood at the crossroads all alone. The sunlight in his face. He had no thought for an evil course. He was set for a manly race. But the road stretched east and the road stretched west. And he did not know which road was best. So he took the wrong road. And it led him down. And he lost the race and the victor's crown. He was caught at last in an angry snare because no one stood at the crossroads there to show him the better road. Another day at the selfsame place, a boy with high hopes stood. He too was set for a manly race. He was seeking the things that were good. And one was there who the roads did know. And that one showed him the way to go. So he turned away from the road leading down, and he won the race and the victor's crown. He walks today on the highway's fair because one stood at the crossroads there to show him the better road. May you and I be willing to say, Yes, Lord. To never say no to God. To show people the better road. Amen.